What's up, strength coaches? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Mid Weeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore. And we're doing that by highlighting the practitioners that work in the field. And today we have Jennifer Gibson on another second timer. Jen, thank you for coming on. We were talking off air beforehand, but update everybody with uh, some life changes since we last talked. Yeah, so um, after about 10 years almost in the NFL between the Saints and the Bears, um, kind of made the transition to pro hockey and, and picked up a gig with the um, Chicago Blackhawks. As a, as a native Canadian, I, I'm dual citizen, but I'm a native Canadian, so I'm Canadian-American. Like going into hockey was my original like life dream. Um, and so, yeah, and so here I am working in a sport that I grew up loving and loving to watch and now being able to be a practitioner in that space. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it's been the Olympics, uh, NFL, NHL now, like what other professional organizations have? Yeah. Like, so anybody that's listening right now, it's it, you're admitted in and you're listening to a stud right now talking about nutrition. So like, yeah, well, I have MLB. I was contracting with MLB. Um, no, not MLB. Sorry. MLS. I haven't done MLB. That's the only um, pro sport I haven't worked in, you know, globally because I've done pro tennis gonna, too. So yeah, I'm going to oh, call MLB. Eric Cressy and tell him to hire you with the Yankees. So that way you can just <laughs> check that off the box. <laughs> That's the last one. Then I, then I just retire. Then it's done. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. So talk about, you know, we talked a little bit off air, but let everybody else hear like, okay, the Blackhawks gig, what made you get back into it after being out of, you know, professional sport, because I've transitioned out of the team setting. There's other coaches that are doing the same thing. What got you back in? Yeah. So I think, you know, I had anyone who, who's on, on listening, who's, who's been, um, who's been working in football um, knows that it's knows what the grind is. And so, you know, it's just a complete life commitment, like head to toe. Um, and so coming out of that environment um, and, you know, it's almost like, and, and I, and, you know, when you're in the cult, you, you, you're in there. And so if you're still working in the cult, you don't understand this, but when you kind of get released from the cult, um, you start to go, you know, you're released and you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, I can actually have a weekend off. And my life isn't over for seven months of the year where I can tell you where I'm going to be on Wednesday at 3 PM when there's, you know, a special teams meeting extra, you know, so you kind of get out of that and you realize that, yeah, you can have a life and have a rewarding work. And so, you know, I kind of spent a little bit of time thinking about what the next transition was going to be. And as you know, too, in sport, you just get calls for jobs. That's just how it works. You don't apply. You just get calls. And so I'd had a bunch of different calls. And um, and then it was like this this opportunity came up with the Hawks. And it was a sport I was, I'd was i always want to work with. And they were able to accommodate my requests in terms of being able to just kind of travel in and out to see the team. Hockey players are very self-sufficient. Uh, they're a very di different breed compared to football. They remind me of my Olympians. Like, they... They don't need a, uh, to be spoon fed. They just kind of want to know, you know, what should I do? And, and they're just very self-sufficient. So um, my role is a little bit more programmatic and building out programs and working at a higher level and not so much kind of on the ground. And it just kind of suits where I'm at right now and where I want to be. So it was a really great opportunity and in, in nutrition and in hockey is growing. Um, and it's funny when I started in, in, in the league in the NFL, it was at its infancy and there was like when I started, there were six of us and now there's like 50. And so now it's fun to be at the beginning with hockey because it feels that way too. There's like a small group and it's kind of mushrooming as a profession. That's awesome. And maybe you're not going to admit it, but I will because other people, we've had a ton of nutritionists on the show since you first came on. Yeah. Everybody was like, oh man, like you had Jen on, like I can't live up to Jen. Like, so that's kind <laughs> of the, that is the standard that you have set in your other sports. So that's kind of cool that you're getting to do the same exact thing in hockey. Yeah, it's just fun. I mean, I think sometimes when people navigate their career, it can be kind of for the wrong reasons. And, and sometimes you just want to wave the flag of a certain, you know, sport or league or whatever it is. But I think it's just kind of, for me, it's always kind of been like a, a new challenge that suits where my life is at. And, um, and I'm just really excited about it. I really like my hockey guys so far. It's been, it's been fun. Dive into the why about hockey and how you've been able to help them out with nutrition within the sporting demands. Because I was talking with Brajesh at the NSCA Coaches Conference this weekend, and he, you know, works with hockey. They just won the national championship. Mm -hmm. And he did talk about, like, hey, how hockey, if we can shift these guys to be more aerobically dominant rather than anaerobically dominant, like, 
just kind of talk in yeah. the weeds a little bit about that with the nutrition. Yeah, for sure. Well, fundamentally, the population is generally pretty young. And when I say young, I mean younger than, than what I've experienced in pro other pro sports. You know, because our... they, they can be, though, because yeah. they can get drafted young, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. So, like, our star player right now, Connor Bedard, is, is just 17 years old. So, holy cow. Young. So, they're kids, literally, you know, and our team is one of the youngest teams in the league. Now, you can have a, a vet that's 34. That's the beauty of hockey. You can have a 10, 15 year career. But um, in general, they can come in really, really young, and a lot of them don't even necessarily go to college. So, um, that's the first thing right away is you're dealing with like a really young population in some cases, and this is speaks to your world. They're still probably not developed, you know, <laughs> from a, a, a body perspective, uh, you know, they're probably through puberty, but you know what I mean? Like there's still a lot of development going on from a physical perspective. And then from a nutritional perspective, um, while some of them do have experience living on their own, um, it's a whole new world to come into the league you know, they're, they're, they could be shuffled around depending if they're on an affiliate team, they kind of go up and down the system, um, a lot of pressure and then they're, but they're just so young. They just have not a lot of life experience. Um, and that's the first hat you have to put on is realize that you're dealing with kids that love hockey. Um, but you got to kind of dig into like, what is their lifestyle like? And that's a nutrition question. Do they know how to cook? Do they know where to shop? Do they, you know, kind of getting them through the fundamentals. Um, and then the schedule is just a grind. I mean, you know, football was, you know, one game a week and a lot of hours. You kind of knew when it was going to be, yeah. Yeah, and hockey, it's very, very sporadic. Uh, there's a lot of back-to-back -back games. Sometimes there's back-to-back -back games. Like we had a, an in-market game in, in Chicago. The guys literally left the ice, got onto a plane, and then played a game the next day. Like that is insane. That is an insane schedule. And so it's really a lot of that too. There's like micro, you know, micro periodization things to think about within the big picture because it's like, oh my goodness, you guys are playing five games in 10 days, right? And all these things kind of factor in. So scheduling wise, um, trying to keep them going for an entire long season. Um, and then you kind of have all your typical issues where, you know, you're dealing with injury and kind of nutrition around supporting that and illness around, you know, cold and flu season. These guys are all getting sick. It's the same kind of team situations there. Um, but really fundamentally in the weeds, it's looking at the development of the player, where they're at, and then, and then looking at the logistics and the physiology and the impact of the, of the season and the schedule. And a lot of times, the other thing that's interesting too, is like, they buy these guys young, you know, they buy them, they're out in Europe, maybe they're out in, um, in Canada playing at a junior level and the team kind of acquires this guy and you know you're responsible for supporting the guy in Europe because he may come through our ranks and be on the team too and so there's a whole spectrum of who you support as well um so that's wow. been that's been fun too is to just like know that we have some guys out in, in Sweden and, and Germany and things like that and and knowing that we own them you know they're under contract with us even though they're young and overseas so how do you handle that then? Anybody that's listening to that, that is a, either A, a nutritionist, and then B, they might be thinking from the strength and conditioning hat, like how do you do a great job checking in with them when they're remote from you? Yeah, so so most clubs have, and our club does, we actually have a strength coach that's based in Europe. And um, oh. yeah, and so he's actually our guy. He's based in Sweden. He's awesome. Um, and he kind of has his almost territory of players that he just goes and visits with. And so him and I have a great relationship and he'll touch base with the players and we actually coordinate like European suppl supplement orders, meal plans, everything through him and, and him being the on the ground contact. So that relationship between strength coach and nutrition is really important because he's like the one guy out there that kind of is the, the connect for us, for our international guys. Wow, that's got to be huge. And then, you, you know, you talk about the strength coach and then your relationship. We've since had you on, had a ton of other nutritionists, and that's been the big common question is how can us strength coaches have great relationships with nutritionists? You've had opportunities to reflect on that even more. Can you talk about that? Because I think that's something that needs to be emphasized more and more for strength coaches to hear. Yeah, I think, first of all, we're all just human beings. And, like, you got to just meet each other as, as humans. And we all have egos and that's the other thing, you know? And so for me, when I'm, when I'm kind of developing new relationships with my strength staff, um, the thing I always remember is that our worlds cross pollinate. And the second thing I always remember is that that's okay. 
I'm okay. Like right now with my, my, my Hawks situation, my strength coach does all the on the ground nutrition stuff because I'm not there after every game. And I'm totally cool with that. And he's totally cool with that. And he's like, help me know what you want to do and I'll support you. And so I think it's just fundamentally knowing that we overlap and that's okay. It's, it's everyone wants to work in the silo and you just can't. And that's kind of where we always talk about it, like stay in your lane or stay in your silo. And the, the reality is, is that the lanes crash all the time, whether you want them to or not. And so if you don't figure out a way to work together while the cars are colliding, then you're going to just have crashes all the time. And so I, yeah, I just, I just have a lot of respect for, for you guys and what you do. And if you just come at it from that perspective and drop the ego and I don't care if you talk to the guy about some nutrition stuff. Um, and, and if there's a situation where the guy's losing a ton of weight, I just hope you have enough respect for me for letting me know, you know, like that's kind of the way it goes. Like, it's just this, but I think at a fundamental level, we just got to know we're humans. We just have to develop relationships with each other and trust. And then usually a good working relationship can follow after that. No one gives a crap how much you know if you're an a-hole. Like, that's the truth. It really is that simple. Like, I don't understand. I know that there's some football staffs out there that still don't let nutritionists do anything, and they handle it themselves, and it truly just boggles my mind. I don't understand that. So if you're listening out there and that's you, I hope that you can hear this and start to to make that change because – it just makes your life easier. Like, why would you not want to delegate something to somebody who is a professional in it? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I think what I like to also fundamentally ask, and this was something that when we talked about it in the, in football was funny is where's your compass pointing. If your true professional compass is pointing towards what's best for the athlete, what's best for your athletes that, that drives your compass in the right direction. So is it best for your athlete to have access to a dietitian at, you know, full reign? Is that best? Probably, because it's another professional to help them get better. So if you just motivate it from like, what's best for my players and how to make them better and healthier and, and more available, which helps you keep your job, let's be honest, because if you win more, yep. it's yep. it's all winning. You you get paid. <laughs> let's just call it what it is. So it's like, you keep your what's job. best for my athlete? Because if the athlete gets what they need and is fully supported, then you have a higher chance of, you know, maybe doing better and keeping your own family fed. So anyway, just a thought. What's up, strength coaches? Taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the Cheeky Midweeky, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members-only forum. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out. Um, with a partner, Dr. Dana Liss, who's a kind of a, a world-renowned researcher in, in performance nutrition. And she actually did a lot of the seminal work in collagen research. So a lot of what we know about collagen and tendon um, rehab and, and nutrition and the impacts of that, Dana is one of the researchers that's, that spearheaded all of that. So anyway, we created this company and our goal is really education and mentorship in the field of performance nutrition, but for all sport practitioners. So exactly to what we were talking about with strength coaches, um, we offer this course called the Elite Operators Course. We ran it last year in Colorado. It was a raging su- success. And we're, we're running another one in February at UC Davis, where actually all the collagen research was born out of Keith Barr's lab. And yeah, it's a three-day course. We dive into five areas of performance nutrition, um, nutrition for metabolism, supplementation, body composition, sweat assessment, um, and one other area that I'm forgetting, which I shouldn't forget. Um, but you can check it out on our website, but it goes into deep dive areas. So for example, like our body composition module, we talk about all the different types of modalities available and kind of the pros and cons of working with each of them. And within the course, what we also do is kind of a lab component. So we're kind of almost taking you back to college where we do theory, we do lab, where you kind of look at the, the, the differences in different like technology, for example, we do some testing. And then we have this thing called the insight exchange period, which is really fun where everybody in the room, because we've got practitioners last year, we had them from, you know, pro, pro, um, pro golf. We had guys from 
uh, actually like racing. We had hockey, we had pro um, um, football, you know, everybody was kind of in a room together. And we had these inside exchanges where people talked about their best practices. And um, we had doctors, strength coaches, dietitians, ATs, we had a few um, orthopedic surgeons as well. And so the room was just really collaborative and, and spirited and it was, it was a really good learning experience. And so that's kind of what the course, the course that we're offering. And we're obviously really excited about it because we're, we're trying to give the sense of cross-pollination amongst practitioners who all have to kind of get into nutrition um, as part of their job scope. So even the doctors that attended were like, this has been great. We learned a lot about evidence we didn't even realize was happening in the sports space. That's one of the biggest things, hearing you say that about doctors, because that can be something that slows down strength coaches, especially in college, where if the doctor is the one slowing it down, but it's something that they know nothing about, like that, kudos to you guys for doing that. Yeah, and I think it's been really um, just motivated from, Dana's old like me and been doing this for like 18 years, and you kind of look at the landscape for education, and a lot of it is online now, which frankly, let's be honest, we probably listen to maybe 10% of um, hard to focus when you're online. Um, and then usually just like one hour seminars or you go to ACSM and you get like a one hour piece of information or you got to go back to college and take a six week course, which people don't have time for. So what we're trying to do is offer something that's like a deep dive enough into these areas where if you're a strength coach coming in, for example, and do body comps and maybe you just use a DEXA or you just use a bod pod, you can kind of go deep, deep, deep into body composition, understanding research methods and things that are kind of deep. Um, but you don't have to like go back to school and it's, it, but it's, it's more, you know, and you get the perspective of other professionals in the room and it just, it's kind of the in-between um, and it's live and we will never be online with this course because we a hundred percent value in-person live networking. And it's funny from our course, <laughs> the last time we had like at least five people get jobs just from people they met in the course um, or internships or just the network that people made because our course is actually quite small. We only accept 60 people. And so because it's super small, everybody got to know everybody. And then the networking was super powerful. Wow. That is yeah. unbelievably yeah. powerful. Yeah. And that's, you know, we go to a big conference, you know, like NSCA national conference, you kind of hang out with your posse and then you just, yeah. you know, um, maybe you meet one or two people, but this was it, the, the whole point in this is as by the end, you know, everybody's name, You've been together for three days, exchanging and learning and doing social events. And now you've grown your network by 59 people. So because if it was a success in Colorado, how come you guys didn't want to just stay there again? Like what was the, the I mean, the fact that you guys had success and then you're going to go do something else, like kudos to you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're running the same course. We're just doing it in a different location. And even at that though, like some people yeah. are just like, Hey, I'm going to double down here. Yeah, yeah. Well, we want what we want to do is is try to offer it north, south, east, west because we know geographically, oh. um, you know, that might be easier for people, you know, to 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 attend an East Coast conference. So, I think for the first year, we our our goal is to make it an ACSM style where we kind of just establish a north, south, south, east, west rotation, and then we just cycle through the cities and kind of run it yearly and then update the course. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the reason why we moved to California. Um, and then obviously we want to partner with academic institutions that are like really well known in the field of performance nutrition. And UC Davis is one of the, like, I mean, they, they wrote the book on collagen, like vital proteins and every other collagen company right now on the market selling <laughs> thanks to UC Davis and like some of their seminal work in, in providing that information on how it can be helpful in, in athletic populations. And then it became this kind of health product from there. So talking about college in there some strength coaches know how to use it some strength coaches don't what would be your recommendation to anybody that's listening to this now if they do know anything if they don't know anything where would you what's been what's the good and the bad research out there to to steer coaches in the right direction yeah so that's a really good question because the body of research around collagen is like ever-changing and so it's like you know you kind of start to read into some things and 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 it's just changing and it's morphing and we're kind of learning more as we go. Um, generally speaking though, what we have to kind of understand about the body of research is that the original intent of the research was to look at rehabilitation. And so that work came out of Keith Barr's lab at UC Davis and it was looking at uh, tendon repair and a really nice study out of, out of Barr and actually the AIS in Australia um, looked at, at supplementing 
um, with 15 grams of, of collagen post exercise or post, um, yeah, post exercise with an addition of about 80 milligrams of vitamin C. And that's where they actually found that when they were doing, and I think it was a, a jump test and they were looking at Achilles tendon tear and, and rehab, um, that that was there, there was some benefit in terms of helping with re recovery. And so from there, that was kind of the original work that was really well done. And, and that's where everybody started saying, okay, post-exercise, you get your 15 grams and with your vitamin C, certain companies have developed formulations that include the C and collagen together. And I think we still know that that's beneficial. But now kind of what's happening is this idea of maybe we can do it before and maybe we can do it before and after. And, and maybe it's, you know, is it, can we do 20 grams? Can we do 25 grams? And so people are kind of playing around with dosing and maybe preventative and we're, it's kind of in a whole world. The thing about collagen is it's just ground up bones, right? So we're not talking about, you know, anything that's super harmful. Um, I laugh because the markup on it is probably crazy. Like these people are probably making a ton of money, you know, and I'm just hoping that like no, no extra animals are being killed. You know, we're just kind of using the bones that we were throwing away or something. Um, the Jello founders are like, yes, gelatin, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, I think right now what, what we can say is that you can dose your athletes with it on a daily basis as a, as a, par a part of their kind of preventative tendon and, 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 you know, ligament um, therapeutic program. Um, but definitely if you're dealing with a rehab situation, I a hundred percent throw collagen into the mix with vitamin C. Yeah. Anywhere and from I, 10 I to was, 20 grams. Yeah. 10 to 20 grams of, yeah. the, of the collagen. Yeah. With the vitamin C. Yeah. Yeah. So any, yeah, anytime I have a rehabber, that... especially if a tendon related uh, injury or ligament related injury, they're, they're on a collagen protocol. And then if guys want to take it every day, um, I'm still kind of biased to the post-workout, but I think you can do, it'll be fine to do pre as well. Yeah, I think because I remember reading some of his research out there where it was, you know, even something as simple as like, hey, come in, have it, I think it was 50 minutes beforehand, do some sort of resistance training, come back later in the day, do some resistance training again. Mm -hmm. I had a uh, army ranger who had some knee pain and she was landing from, she was doing like parrot, parrot landing. And yeah. she's like, I have to land. I'm like, shit, okay. Like, <laughs> we're going to have to, we're going to have to dose you with some vitamin C and collagen. And yep. anybody that if they had an ACL tear and they were going with a patella tendon graft, I was like, listen, we're doing the same thing for you because that's one of the things that athletes always would complain about was that yep. anterior patella tendon pain. Um, so yeah, any coaches out there listening, make sure you're doing that. Yeah. And I, and like I said, what's interesting is how the research is, it's going in a lot of different directions. And so um, mostly it's just more about saying, yeah, you could probably do it pre and post. Um, and it's just, it's, it's frankly um, been really interesting to see it because, because the original research was actually gelatin and then people started going, okay, well, you know, collagen peptides are a precursor to that or post cursor to that. So can we use that? And so um, it's been interesting to watch it explode. And then, um, and then to actually watch the companies that, get acquired by bigger companies and people are making a lot of money off of it. So it's an interesting uh, category of product. Uh, my, my, the funny thing about the football players is when we first introduced it to them, they were like, isn't that what my girls put in their lips? And, just like, oh. <laughs> and you kind of stand there and you, and you like, you think about it. Cause like, they're technically right, but it's not, I'm like, yes, but this is like the, this is the oral form of it. And it works in a little different way. Like you can't, like, I didn't even know how to answer it at first. I'm like, okay. You were just like, oh, son of a gun. Is this, you're like, oh, hey, Alex, I'll take things I was not expecting for 500. Yeah, exactly. But that's like, that's, you know, you, you work with athletes and you, we used to keep a little journal of like the craziest questions you ever get asked, you know? Um, and the best part about that one is that more than one guy, like totally independently asked me the same question. So... <laughs> Or if, if that one guy asks you in a big group setting, people are like, yeah, yeah, I want to know that too. Yeah. And I'm like, oh gosh, don't take this home, mix it up and syringe it into your girl's lips. Like don't do a cheap one. Yeah, please don't. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> so for you now with the Blackhawks and being away and then coming in and out, how does that, how are you able to build that chemistry and that relationship? Because the last time we talked, we talked about how important it is to, you know, continue to be around the yes, and, yes, and build rapport. So how have you been going about building that? Well, so I strategically spent three weeks with them during training camp. And so I made the sacrifice of, of 
you know, hanging around for the full training camp period. And in hockey, that's actually when they're in the building the longest. Um, normally speaking on a regular practice day, they usually come in and they're out the door by like 1130 gone. You know, they just come in. Wow. Yeah, they come in, eat their meal. They do a, a one hour skate and then have their lunch and then out they go. They don't do the meeting. Like they're totally different vibe um, than football. There's no million meetings. It's like one little quick meeting. You're making, you're making some out. strength coaches be like, wait a minute. What is this? What is I know. This I'm telling you. I looked at the schedule. I'm like, after lunch, they go home. And they're like, yeah, they're out of the building. And they're like, it's a ghost town by two. And I'm like, because if, you know, the guy's doing a bit of treatment or whatever. And I'm just like, okay, sign me up. (laughs) But but during camp, they're there longer. They're there till, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock. And so um, I just spent that entire time there. And that, and I met with every single player individually, got to know all the staff. And so that was my time to really be in a concentrated way. And, and to build relationships through that time of being together all together. And, and it's interesting because in hockey, kind of everybody is there during that time. Every single guy, all the European guys are there. Like the entire cohort is there. All the scouts are there. So for me, it was really strategic to, ha- to be together with them for that specific time frame. And I'll continue to do so that smart. every year. Yeah. And, and that way you just, you know, you have dinners with staff and you just kind of get to know people. And, and uh, that's what really helped to kind of springboard relationships for me. That's awesome. And then, yeah, like just the fact that you did that. And so anybody listening to that understand, she understood how important it is. Like you're a vet that's been doing this nutrition thing for a while, but you have to still kind of, you're starting at ground zero with the relationship thing, because especially if you're somebody like you and you might have, you know, you have a, a background where people are like, Oh shit, she's good. But it's like, okay, how good are you going to be for us here? And how well can you build those relationships? So shout out to you for doing that. Yeah. And, and the program is like the program I want to build there. We're at probably 20% of where we we're going to be. And that's, I, the reason why we're there is because I know that in order for me to get there, it has to be stepwise has to be season to season. It has to be relationship building. And so it's for me learning as a vet, you don't come in guns blazing. You, you come in and your first season, you develop relationships and you learn. I wish you would, I wish you would have been there for me yeah. for the first year. Oh my God. Yeah. You, you kind of have to learn your environment because every, as you know, you know, you're, you're old, just like me. Every team is different. There's a different culture. It doesn't matter if it's the same sport, right? You, there's a, there's player coaches and then there's coaches, coaches, and then there's the really like insecure coaches. Like there's, you have to, you don't know the dynamic until you're in it. And, um, for me, my first season has always historically been building relationships with my fellow staff and players and then understanding how does this, how does this wheel turn, you know, and, and then you, the doors that are open for you in your first year to get change, you walk through those ones. You don't try to push them you push and then you, and then if there's resistance, I go, okay, we're not going to attack the plane food this year. Cool. But I can't attack the hotel, hotel food, or you know what I mean? Or the supplements or what, you know, so anytime I get a door open, I go through, but if there's a push in the first year, I make a note and you go, okay, next year we go, we come back to that. So it's, it's just being like, you know, emotionally intelligent about it and realizing where you sit in the hierarchy and it doesn't matter what your resume is. Um, I'm not on the ice. I'm not an all-star that comes in and like, Hey, look at me, you know, like, no (laughs) support staff. So, yeah. But so here's my question as a support staff member where like the catch 22 that I'm going to propose to you is like, okay, cool. Yeah. Your job is to change the, the nutrition though. And if you're like, man, okay, you get pushback against the plain food. But if you're like, what in the heck are they doing with this plain food yeah, option? Yeah. This is some low hanging fruit to change it. And I know it. And again, we're not like, I'm not asking you to talk specifically about the black. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking, I'm asking you to talk like from a theoretical sure. standpoint for any of our listeners out there in a new year, because I could have used this advice when you know that there's something that you can help change, but you just know you're getting that pushback and it's not worth it. Like, how do you kudos to you for being able to know to stop trying to knock down that door because i'd be like oh word i gotta put my shoulder yeah so i think it depends i think i think it's all in relation to how how much of a priority is this and so what i know like for right now my my battle is more with the plain snacks than the actual meal so that's where i'm like okay it's it's the guys have a meal it's decent it's from really good places whatever but here's a tip and this is what i've done and and uh hopefully no no one i've ever worked with (laughs) realizes this but um (laughs) 
what you do in that case, especially at the pro level, is if you if you have some players that feel the same way, you 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 then get your leverage from the player yeah. and it goes player up. Yeah. And so that's what I've done in the past is like I have an issue. Sometimes they just see it as the nutrition person issue. And a lot of times you're dealing with an operation person who maybe just doesn't want change or like it's just a pain in their ass. So um, if you can then kind of talk, not it has to be done very politically, not politically correctly, but if you have at least three or four other players who are also feeling like this is an important issue, then what you do is you get your little gang gang and you get them to put in a mention. And as soon as you have like a vet or at least two players that mention it to your person, that's the gatekeeper you're in, you're fine. Because then you get the players on your side and you have to do it very, very in a finessed way. But um, if you can leverage that, that's how I've been able to get change done more quickly. You're right. And shout out to the director of football operations, Lance, when I was at, uh, um, at Towson, because he would do that for me. Like if I'm like, Hey, he, I would, I would be like, Hey, we got to change this. He's like, okay, this is the way that we're going to, because you have to use the relationships because coaches are very, particular mm -hmm. right like they want things done a certain way and it's just like have you seen the movie elf yeah yes yeah so remember when they call the the guy that they want to bring in and he's like 71 degrees not 70, yeah. right and like <laughs> before he hangs up the call he's like 71 degrees and he like hangs up right like they're very particular yeah. about certain things yeah. like that so. yeah i mean in football it would be like you go through the players usually depending on your head coach he might have a player committee or your player rep that like goes to talk to the coach every week about like, Hey, we want yeah. more time off. We want better rice in the cafeteria. Like, you know, they go and they complain They're and the coaches listen. Like you just try to get your agenda item pushed up there. If there's enough consensus and usually you can get, you can get it pushed through that way. As you're working with this new population and more and more i think the nutrition world has changed even since we talked yeah here. and i'm not saying that it changed for the work for i'm not saying that like the actual science has changed but the number of people giving suggestions oh. how hard is that for mm -hmm. you to deal with right now and what piece of advice do you recommend to any of our nutritionists and strength coaches that are listening to us i think yeah I, I have to even say this year with my new group of guys i had at least five of them show me the person they followed on ig their nutrition person they followed on ig and half the time they weren't a qualified person um i think at a very fundamental level what i've learned is you have to listen to the player or the athlete and like kind of understand how how much are they indoctrinated into this person because if they've been listening or following this person for years and they're like a believer in what they're, you know, you have to kind of, you kind of have to meet them with a very respectful manner. Um, so that's, and then you kind of have to work around, okay, how detrimental is this advice that they're getting? Obviously, if they're coming to you and they're like, hey, this guy told me to go on keto and I'm on keto and I, you know, I don't really have a lot of energy. And you can kind of like start going, okay, let's start talking about performance on the ice and how this is affecting you. But I think what I have to do initially is be a little bit respectful to how, much they believe this person because you don't want them to feel stupid um <laughs> even though it drives me crazy and makes me want to quit my job every day <laughs> um but usually what i find is like at the end of the day it doesn't matter who you follow they're not an individual practitioner for you and your needs they can't they're not giving you individual advice so usually i park it back to that and say okay that's really good general advice um, but what's going to be really helpful for you is if we can devise a nutrition program for the year that's going to help you skate at your best ability so you can get paid, so you can get another extension. Let's talk about individualizing your needs. And so usually when you can park it down to that, people resonate with that. Because these people, anything that's going to be on IG is a generalist recommendation. So I think that's kind of how I navigate people on IG and, and just couch nutrition people and... Um, I'm so over, I'm so over the micronutrient stuff. Like every, like, I'm just like, yes. oh, magnesium, everybody needs magnesium. Oh, copper. And I'm just like, people don't eat in micronutrients. We don't eat. I don't sit here with a comp, like with a meal and think, I wonder how many milligrams of magnesium is in this complex built out meal. Like, you know what I mean? Like people don't eat by individual nutrients. And so that's been my biggest pet peeve with nutrition education on by anybody is that we single out a nutrient and magically, if we just fix this thing, all systems are better. And we were magically 10% uh, faster just because we fixed our magnesium. And that's just really stupid. <laughs> 
it's just really sort well, that's, it's, it's I mean, short-sighted that's something... to how physiology works like if you know anything about physiology you know that like bumping up a little bit of magnesium in, in your diet if you're probably already fine with your magnesium because you're probably not getting it tested in a, in a legit way anyway you're just assuming yeah. you know you haven't even done the correct blood test which most people don't even know what that test is and then you like assume that okay i'm gonna go take this much and somehow my life is going to change like that's just so like it's just problematic and it doesn't work and it's the reason why 99 percent of supplements fail you know with the claims because they make it sound like this is the answer this one micronutrient is the answer so that's been my pet peeve lately um it's just not true that's not how we work unless it's iron like unless you're severely iron deficient and we have blood work then then that one i if we can if we can work with iron we usually can see some and feel some better things but yeah there's so much from that that i want to unpack because like so the athlete that i'm training right now getting him ready to go to missouri to um to be on the team he's going he's graduating high school early to go be mm-hmm. on the team so congrats you know shout out to him for actually doing that because there's not a lot of 17 year old kids That's doing awesome. that. but when we were training today he's like i don't know why i'm like just so sore and i'm like okay like i'm taking him through the questionnaires mm-hmm. that his school is going to be asking and i'm like he, we at one of the questions was you know yesterday how many meals and snacks did you have and throughout the entire day he had right. two and we like some of the other questions and i'm just like there's just these lower hanging fruits that we don't need it or on the flip side, because I've asked this to um, other nutritionists and maybe I asked it when you were on too, but like if the low hanging fruit is there for a kid like that, who's not eating the two meals, do we tell them to eat the food or we're like, do you start by, okay, throw in this, the green supplement or throw in like, what is the best piece of advice to give them? I mean, it's the obvious choice. Right. And so in that case, it's like, go eat yeah it's like if you're under fueling that's we are like it's like it's like obvious like if you're under fueling you're gonna not be recovering better and so let's get that fixed and i think what you need to do as a as a dietitian in this space is you need to be clever with your wording and you don't just say eat more meals and snacks you say well we're going to be working on your nutrient timing we got to get your nutrient timing all you know aligned and that just makes it sound a little bit more flash than like eat more snacks and you just, you know, you got to present it in a way that's kind of like sounds cooler than maybe it is, especially if it's fundamentals. Um, and then it's just, yeah, you just, you, I think sometimes when you just sit down with each case, it becomes glaringly obvious. And, um, and you just, you go, you, you go with what's going to work for the kid. Cause in the end of the day, what matters is like, what was the, what was the impact of that change? So if I give him a thousand more calories, I know he's going to feel better and recover better. If I give him AG1, no offense if you're a sponsor here, but um, that's not going to provide any calories for him. So that's actually probably not going to have a better outcome for him. So as a practitioner, it's like, what's the best, what's my bet? What's the dose response and give me the highest one. You talked about testing blood for iron. That's another thing that I've had to deal with, with some of my athletes is talking about like, Oh, I need like, how do I test for food sensitivity? And that is something that we've talked about on the show here before, where it's not reliable. Like you can take tests and then it's like, you're going to get a completely different test here later. Like, so which ones, which ones are you recommending to, to your athletes to be able to get done? So you can get a test that's valid. So what I would actually, the first thing, taking a big step back is what we need to do with blood work with our athletes is we actually need to bring the doctor back. Okay. Because part of the problem with all this rogues testing is people have access to do their own testing now in a way that we never have had. Usually this has all been mediated through a doctor, a physician, whenever you do blood work. And now it's like, I can go online and pick out a blood panel for myself, a sport blood panel and, and get it done. And then they give me an interpretation. Here I am being my own physician. And I think that that's really problematic and be really misleading. And I've had to walk a lot of players off the edge because they get back these robust reports. They've spent $5,000 on blood work and probably like 50% of it is, is BS, BS blood work that doesn't make any sense. So I think at the very fundamental level, when we're talking about looking at biomarkers, we have to bring the physician back into the question and the equation, because frankly, like that's who needs to be part of the conversation. It's not, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. The athlete's not a doctor. And so that's my first comment because it's driving me crazy how rogue people are going with these blood tests and even practitioners who aren't medical doctors recommending them and you know what a guy might come back and all of their immune markers might be messed up and you might be sitting there saying hey maybe you're just under recovering 
Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button so that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. But the blood panel might come back and, and as a person who might not know medical science, you might say, hey, your, your, your um, immune markers are all out of whack. You know, you just need to, to, to just get better, have some more um, antioxidants and things like that. And the reality is, is that you might have cancer. And, and that, and that's the first sign, you know, your, your, your immune markers go out of whack. So a doctor oh, wow. will look at that more critically and say, Hey, um, this looks really obs ob obscure. Let's go, let's go send you some personal testing. So we need to be, first of all, that's my like hard stance. I'm very conservative when it comes to that stuff. I think it's improper for people to do it on their own. That being said, working with a good sport metaphysician and a good uh, sport dietitian that know about blood bi biomarkers, the usual panel, just to geek out of what I order and help, and my doctors help me order, they order for me, is a, a CBC, which is complete blood count, a CMP, which is complete metabolic panel that looks at organ systems. We do vitamin D, we do an omega-3 index, we'll do an iron panel, which is actually a bunch of different things for iron, not just serum iron. It looks at ferritins, serum iron, um, iron transfer, iron saturation. It's a bunch of different iron markers. It gives you a better um, look at that than doing an iron panel. And then we'll do a red blood cell magnesium. Yeah, so red blood cell magnesium is a good standard of test for magnesium. The regular magnesium you get in a regular blood panel is not helpful to look at your actual status. Um, and then depending on the athlete, if they're like a vegan or vegetarian, I might add in, in some B12s or, or some folates because that might be missing from their diet. But that's kind of the standard panel. And running that panel on most of the teams I've run with, we've had I've had like 90% of the guys have an issue. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. Really? That panel, usually you get of hockey, it's all low vitamin D. Um, the omega-3 index, a lot of our guys, the quality of their omega-3s in their diet is pretty terrible. So that gets revealed through that test. Um, and then there are, you'll always catch three or four low magnesiums. So by doing that battery of tests, and then depending on your population, you could probably do a cholesterol panel too. Um, you'll catch mostly evidence-based ways we can correct in a meaningful way. And if a if player is reporting so food sensitivity you. issues, I've got to see symptoms before we start sending them to an allergist or again, a medical professional. What are your symptoms? Start there. What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in-person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So, if you're interested in Team Builder, click the the link down below and find out more information let's get back to the show yeah that's really good and hearing you say all of that i'm like instantly i, I want to recommend all the practitioners like okay before you get your athletes in like you should be doing these blood panel tests and shouldn't it be done yearly and i'm like okay well what if somebody can't do it and it's like okay well you know typically you always have to mm -hmm. get a physical so shouldn't a blood draw become a a part of a, a normal yeah. physical when you have to be with a physician because like, right. Like, it, shouldn't that just be. Something yeah. I mean, done? most athletes, depending at the collegiate level, anyway, I, I don't want to generalize because I know every program's different, but our pro athletes, it's part of their, it's part of their mandatory physical that they get with the team every year. And then we, as, as nutrition pros, gotcha. depending on your relationship with your doctor can say, Hey, can you throw in a few of these extra markers for me? And usually they're agreeable if they're within, you know, evidence-based, um, recommendation. So that's a normal way. I know a lot of collegiate athletes may have blood work done once a year. Um, yes, a hundred percent. Like that's part of understanding under the hood of the car, what's happening. I, I think, you know, anybody listening to this now that could probably stop your athletes from, you know, needing to go other ways, because if you're already doing a regular sports physical and if a blood draw from a physician, yep. the team physician, no different than when us gen pop people, right? Like, cause you and I, yes, we're support staff, but like we're gen yeah. pop in the world. Yeah. We're not athletes anymore. So when I just 
established care. I had a new, I had a new primary care and they're like, okay, let's, you know, get a blood work done and, and talking with the physician. So if you do that once a year, now the athletes are going to already feel like, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm getting that done. I don't, I don't, I don't need to go and exactly. Be yeah. I, and funny enough, as we're talking about this, I'm like, that's the, mo- that's the module in the course I forgot about. <laughs> it's called biomarkers. It's the biomarker module. And we actually talk about um, blood, uh, sweat and fecal biomarkers. Um, and cause, and, and, and uh, spit biomarkers, uh, saliva biomarkers. So we actually have a whole module on that in our course where we talk through each of those areas how you can test them, what's valid, what's not. Because even right now you can do you can do poop tests if you really want to with your athletes to look at the microbiome. Yeah, to look at the really? micro Yeah. Well, well they've they've become wipes now. They're a little bit more sophisticated than they used to be where you where you really had to get a good sample. Um, but uh, yeah, you could actually do fecal uh, assessment to look at the microbiome in, in your gut. So there's a lot of interesting stuff when it comes to testing biomarkers, but actually our course takes you through that in a way that you can understand and, and kind of start to um, implement in your practice in a meaningful way. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches, athletic trainers, sports scientists, and everybody in the high-performance department. Most notably, their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use. Not only did I use them when I was at Towson, but I've used them when I've moved back here to Iowa with Tucker at Goldfinch. So, check out Hawken Dynamics in the link down below. Now, let's get back to the show. Do you guys talk about probiotics? Because I know that some strength coaches out there have been trying to get probiotics with their athletes for a while. What is your kind of official stance on the use case for probiotics with athletes? Well, that's, I'm not trying to like, you're like feeding into all these projects we're working on with performance nutrition pros, but we're actually working right now. We're teasing it folks. If you listen right now, like in the middle, listen, sign up to go to the course. Go like, yeah. Yeah, so we're, after the course, we're going to be launching a. This one will actually be online. It's going to be a a gut a, a gut health for athletes course, which is actually going to be a formal uh, four module kind of a deep dive in, in talking with like the leaders in the industry, not not like we're talking about the best researchers from Australia on this type of stuff. Um, I think what what's going on in the world of probiotics is sometimes in programs they think, oh, I have kombucha on tap, we're good, probiotics. You know, and that's it. Or Greek yogurt. Like, oh, we just got Greek yogurt. Perfect. Got it. Right. And what we're learning about the gut and the gut microbiome is that it's like, there's, it's, it's not even, it's not for athletes. It's not even about the health of the gut overall because of like the food we eat or we're actually learning a lot about the impact of exercise on the gut, the stress of exercise on the gut. Yeah. And how that's impacting things. And so it's really, really interesting as you get into the sport world and in, in gut health, and then the world of probiotics. Well, first of all, the testing is changing. How can we actually test the gut? Like I'm talking about these fecal tests, and there's some other breath tests you can do. Um, but then what people are doing now, in, in at the highest level, is then you're customizing your probiotic blend to replete your gut micro gut microflora to appropriate levels because the gut microflora is crazy. There's like a gazillion different types of bacteria in there and certain ones are good and certain ones are bad. And so it's like way more complicated than we actually realize. Um, and so it's kind of, it's, it's, the answer is it's complicated, you know, and it's more than just saying here, have some Greek yogurt, um, broad spectrum probiotics, we call them that have kind of three or four different types of strains in them are really what we recommend from a general health perspective. And there's a lot of those available in the market. But you can use different types of probiotics to mitigate different issues. Like there's there's an interesting one that's come out from a company. Um, I won't say the names. We're not going to get to brands, but um, where they're a- able to use certain probiotics to to moderate uh, hemoglobin A1C, which is glucose control. So it's like really interesting world. And so because there's just so much hype around it, and my and my co-founders also got some research experience in gut health. That's the next thing we're launching after this in-person course will actually be a didactic course in like all things gut health for athletes. Um, and again, more of a deep dive than just a, a chat on the internet for an hour. That's awesome that you guys are ha- having the ability to do that and, and throw these events. What has been the thing that you've like learned as you're, you know, hosting these new events? Like what, what, what can people expect as they go to this? Like, you know, we've kept teasing it. Like let's let them know what they can expect when they, when they show up for these three day courses. 
Yeah, I think what they can expect is like the, I don't know, you know, a lot of people like are post COVID, like in the, in the, they haven't gone to live events anymore. And it's just kind of like, there's something energizing about being with people again. It's so (laughs) nice. Like, gosh, I felt that way. I tell you what, I felt that way a little bit. Um, I forget when it was, but like, you know, going to events again, I was like, man, this is nice. Like, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, that. And like, it's kind of set up that you're back in college. Like you've got your university profs, but you're not just a student anymore. You're a practitioner with your own experience. And so it's kind of a really fun blend of it being didactic and kind of like that university experience of getting lectures. But then all of a sudden, all your peers are like really, really awesome people with different experiences who add so much of their own experience. And we kind of all learn together. Like we have a a guy coming to the course who's already signed up, who's a a nutritionist for the Ethiopian national soccer team. Like he's flying over from Ethiopia to be part of our course. And like, I'm so excited to host him because he's going to have like, talk about some perspective. Like he's going to have some really different things that he's bringing to the table about how they do things um, in Africa. And so like, I think it's just, it's about that kind of like really novel approach of learning, but then the networking and, and learning from each other um, is what we're really proud of when it comes to delivering the course. Yeah, no, you guys should be proud of that. And the fact that again, doing it in the different States and now what if a strength coach wants to sign up for that? Can strength coaches sign up for it too? Cause it sounds like it'd be something that'd be beneficial for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're accredited through NSCA for the course. So um, you, you can get continuing education credits, credits from it. Um, so yeah, they just would go to our website, www.performancenutritionpros.com. And then right off the homepage, there's, there's a little link there that you can click on and learn about the course. Now, do you still feel the same way that murder is the only accurate way for uh, body body composition? composition? Yes. And you'll hear me, (laughs) you'll hear me say it again in the course, uh, still the most accurate way. Still don't recommend you do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Disclaimer, but it, folks, don't it, go it, around it, murdering people being like, I heard yeah. it on the cheeky midweeky. <laughs> but you can be in prison and tell all your inmates there, and I bet you they will not mess with you. If you're like, I killed this guy and peeled him like an orange to know his body cop, <laughs> no one's going to mess with you in your cell. I guarantee you that. Yeah. That's awesome. How do you feel about the in body? Because I saw that for the first time, and again, I'm not like if you if you're like, hey, I don't want to no, answer. No. That's fine. But no, I, no, no. I just saw that thing for the first time, and I was like, okay, this thing's pretty darn cool. I've never seen one in person. Oh, interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's so that uses bioelectrical impedance analysis, which um, basically sends an electrical current through the body and reads uh, different types of tissue in a different way. So so fat is more resistant to the current versus muscle. And so it kind of reads, that's how it works, is it kind of reads those two types of tissue through this electrical current and then predicts out body composition from it. Um, it's heavily influenced by hydration status. And so one of the things we do in, this, in the course is you, we have someone do a, a, a body comp on the in-body and then we ask them to chug like two bottles or three bottles of water. <laughs> we water bomb them. Um, and then we get them to stand back on the scale, like you know, literally five minutes later. And their body fat will go up sometimes 3%. Um, and, and, and that's like something where we educate, like if you do have this tool, one of the key things you have to standardize is the hydration status of your athlete. The time of day matters with this very, it's very, very sensitive. So it, it, because of that, it's knowing the faults of the machine. Maybe that's the only thing you have to work with, but then understanding how do I standardize testing using this machine so I can mitigate test to test error that's just caused by like hydration, right? And so that's important because as you know, as well as I do with football, if you have an underweight guy, what does he do to, to make weight? He chugs. I had a guy that like He'll used to walk by me. With, yeah. That he used to walk by me with two Pedialyte in his sleeves, like the squares sticking out. And I'm like, I know what you're going to do because <laughs> we have weigh-ins today. But anyway, like if some schools use that methodology or practitioners, knowing that there's such a significant impact, and you know as well as I do, if a guy increases his body fat by 3%, that could be like the sky is falling, right? So um, that it's an interesting technology, but that one's super sensitive. And so like standardization of technique is important. And that's what we do is we talk through every, because even DEXA, you have to standardize technique. And so we go through all these things, we discuss the problems, we show you evidence of them. And then we say, okay, if you're going to use this machine, here's the best five things you have to control to get better test to test measurement, because we never just measure body comp once. Like usually we're 
it needs to be a serial testing tool. And so that test to test noise, we need to mitigate it as small as possible so we can be yeah. try to get accurate because the coach will freak out if he's gained five. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. And what about skin calipers? Any any strength coaches that are trying to do that? Like, is this things that the strength coach should do or should the nutritionist and the dietitian on staff? Like, how do you balance that with, again, if somebody is either A, remote or B, has to work with so many different teams? What's yeah. the best practice? And that's part of like why for our body comp module, everybody's welcome to attend because there are certain situations where strength coach has to do the DEXAs. And so he needs or she needs to be educated on the pros and cons of the tech. Like, if that's the way your program's set up, that practitioner needs to understand the technology. You know, with skin with skin folds, I did them for almost ten years in the Olympic world using the ISAC technique for skin fold, which is a standardized uh, course that you can take to learn how to do standardized body comp through skin folds. And skin folds worked for us in the Olympic world because I'm traveling two hundred days a year all around the world to see my Olympians, and I'm not going to take a DEXA with me. I'm not going to take a you know, I'm not going to take my bod pod on the plane. Why aren't you taking your in body with you? <laughs> so, so skin folds were perfect because they were low cost, easy travel. And then I was, I took courses to make sure I was decreasing my standard error of measurement as a practitioner. Um, and I love, I actually love skin folds because I feel confident in my methodology of how I'm doing them. Now, if you're, if you're willy nilly with them, you can definitely screw things up, but you can learn to standardize protocols for how to do skin folds so they can be really effective for you. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, and that's like that, that right there, just talking about it is like we're a whole body comp module. We talk through pros and cons and what to do so that you can become a skilled practitioner if that's part of your job description. And I, I'm not biased to who does it. It's like in the system, who's, who's responsible for it. Um, and, and then you'd get trained really well. And then, and then usually it's like, okay, well then what's next? Okay. He's fat. Well now go talk to the dietitian. Right. So doesn't matter who reported the fatness. The key is who gets to do the next job. And then the next key is who got to get the result done. Right. So. Do you guys talk about best practices for measuring body weight at the, uh, at your event? Yeah, pretty much go through every type of way to measure the body. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, that was my world for a long time when I was in the Olympics, cause I worked with weight class sports. So even like the type of scale that you use, is, is yes. important, you know? Um, and yeah, I know that from firsthand experience because we had to make sure all of our scales were like to the, literally to the nickel when guys were weighing in and, 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 and having reliable scales and having them calibrated was like just part of our life when you're a weight class sport practitioner. Yeah. And, and I felt that though, too, because when we were at Iowa, like body weight was a very important thing for the coaches. So like, mm -hmm. again, I, I feel you in terms of we had to make sure that we had you know, things that were on point. And even at Towson, like, cause the way that we did it, I changed it where if somebody, we would work it based off of 2%, 3% or 4% based off of their goal, but we yeah. would try to get their goal with it. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Coaches well, out there, make sure you have the right piece of tool that's measuring it. Yeah. And body weight, it's such a simple measure, but you can infer things. Like if you understand enough about what's happening in the athlete's week, you can infer things like maybe they're a little dehydrated. Maybe they're a little bit glycogen depleted. Maybe they're actually constipated. You know, like things will all impact that weight if you're measuring it accurately, again, following a standardized technique and in the right amount of frequency. Um, I've worked with teams where we just used body weight, body weight, but used it in a frequency and, and a cadence and a, and a standardized way where we can learn a lot just from having a scale measurement every day. Uh, one of the final questions I have before we let you go, but what, uh, one of the most common questions that strength coaches ask is how to help their athletes fuel before an early morning training session. Mm -hmm. What is something that coming from you that they can have like, okay, this is something that I, I should be striving for. Yeah. Early mornings. I'm always going liquid calories. Just go with a smoothie. It's the best way to get all your macros, get a good balance. You can throw a bit of nut butter in there for your fat. It's, it's easily tolerated by the system. And you can usually bulk it up um, in, in various ways if you want to have it higher calorie or lower calorie, higher carb or lower carb, depending on the intensity of the training. You can add in some, some creatine in there if that's needed. So for me, like early morning sessions, I'm, I'm usually defaulting to some sort of smoothie because I know they'll consume it because liquid calories are always going to be easy, more easily digestible than solid. And um, But it's just about who the heck makes it. Is it them? Is it your person? You know. Yeah. So if it's like a RT, if it's an RTD 
drink for them like that that'd be your option too or yep. like let's say you're at a place like the blackhawks or you're, you know somewhere where they have somebody that has a, a nutritionist that is making things like yeah just get one of the pre-blended smoothies as you get into the building exactly yeah and if you're going to do rtds just making sure that it's one that has carbohydrate in it sometimes the rtds might just be really heavily protein based and so just making sure that it's it's kind you kind of want to think to yourself like we all know breakfast is really good usually we want to balance breakfast if we're going to be doing a higher aerobic or a higher intensity training bout, we're going to want some carbohydrates in there. So don't just give them the, the muscle milk with the 40 grams of protein and two grams of sugar, because that's not going to provide energy for the event. So you can do that and then say, hey, you got to at least have that plus a banana, which is so easy to digest. And maybe you do something like a convenience item, like a waffle or a, or a gel to kind of pump up the carbs a little bit. But if you're going RTD, then just make sure it's one that has a, it's like a blend of, of carbs and protein. Jen, thank you for coming on the show. Any strength coaches out there, your athletes cannot outwork a bad diet. You need to have a good relationship with your nutritionist. Go to the course. Um, talk again a little bit more about the course, and then um, we'll obviously be linking it down in the show notes below. Yeah, for sure. It's performancenutritionpros.com. Um, the link to the course is right on there. It's called the Elite Operator Performance Nutrition Course. It's at UC Davis, February 17th, 18th, 19th. Um, if you can't make this one, we'll be hosting them yearly. So just, just give us a shout and you can learn more about it. Uh, there's, there's CUs for strength coaches and, uh, yeah, happy to chat about the course or about anything else. Thanks for coming on, Jen. Talk to you later. Appreciate you. Thank you.